0: Welcome to 501c3bs, deprogramming for organizational growth. I'm your host, Zoot Velasco. We just need one big fundraiser. Our clients are our donors.
1: Bigger is better.
0: Who cares what the mission statement is? I
1: work in nonprofits. Bullshit! Today
0: on 501c3bs, we will tackle the single biggest steaming pile of bullshit in our industry. That is, what do we call ourselves as a sector? One of the largest sectors in the American economy? Nonprofits. The nonprofit sector. A not-for-profit organization. I teach nonprofit management, which sounds like an oxymoron. How do you teach someone to manage in a way that doesn't make a profit? It sounds like a scam. You would expect such a class to go something like, now to be sure you don't make a profit, overpay yourself and the staff you like. You can always take a lot of lunches, too. How about a conference in Hawaii? And a person who gives money to a group like that, or any group who is going to find ways to not make a profit for their work, who would do that? When I told my friends on Facebook and LinkedIn that I was doing a podcast on the myths that keep us from growing, I asked if anyone wanted to offer their favorite myth. Before the day was over, everyone was piling on the term nonprofit. Why do we use that to describe ourselves? It seems like it sticks in everyone's craw. And hey, I don't even know what a craw is, but it is firmly rooted there. Yet this is the name that has been adopted by almost everyone within and without our sector. Did you ever wonder why? You can find the answer in the Stanford Social Innovation Review in an article entitled, Is It Time to Ditch the Word Nonprofit? by Alison Goss. The publication notes that for centuries... The sector was referred to as charities. It was in the 1960s that people wanted a more secular term, since charities are often donated as religious organizations. Nonprofits, referring to the tax status, was used to denote those charities who were not religiously affiliated. By the 1980s, there was a real movement to corporatize the sector as nonprofit organizations or nonprofit corporations. This movement led to the sense that we should just Follow a corporate model and we would be fine. After reading this article advocating that we might want to look away from the label, I was intrigued by the comments section. Industry people were all over the map on how they felt about it. Some thought we should embrace the term nonprofit, others thought it really wasn't a very good alternative. Lynn Twist, a self-described global visionary committed to alleviating poverty, ending world hunger, and supporting social justice and environmental sustainability, would advocate that we use the term social profit organization or social sector when referring to us as a group. After some research, it seems like this idea has been around at least since 2007. I found a mention of it in a book written that year by Claire Guadini, in the Greater Good, How Philanthropy Drives the American Economy and Can Save Capitalism. She states, quote, The time is right to insist on a term that focuses on our investment, risk-taking, and entrepreneurial imagination that have always been so essential to organizations that serve the social good. Social profit organizations is a term that can better capture the contribution made by entities that have too long been known as charity or nonprofit profit groups. Unquote. I told this to a group of millennials with whom I work and they loved it. I got lots of oohs and ahs from them. For me, however, I feel like the word social is so overused now with social networks and social enterprise, and that it its meaning is actually less clear. Eventually, I found another word gaining traction on the internet, and that term being community benefit organizations. This is a term proposed by Hilde Gottlieb. It is my honor to have Hilde Gottlieb is an interview for this podcast. But before I play that, let me read a little bit from her blog post on the term. Imagine you're going on a blind date. You ask, Hmm, what is Joe like? And you are told, hmm, Well, he's not very tall or thin. He doesn't like Italian food. Oh, and he doesn't have a dog. There is more going on in this description than merely failing to provide pertinent information. The real result of this description is to focus you on particular aspects about Joe. Further, you will notice that none of these aspects is important to who Joe really is. Is Joe an opera singer, a gourmet chef, a rocket scientist? Is he the most attractive and phenomenal lover the world has ever known? You don't know, not because I have failed to tell you, but because the facts I have chosen to share are irrelevant to being an opera singer or an amazing lover. Calling your organization a nonprofit focuses the world's attention on a particular, inconsequential aspect of your being, the financial means that allow your work to be accomplished. Calling your organization a community benefit organization declares to the world your primary purpose to provide benefit to the community. She goes on to show how many misconceptions of the words nonprofit can cause real issues, and I have actually seen some of these happen in my own life. She shares us two real-life scenarios. I was on a plane. This is uh, Hildy talking again now. I was on a plane next to a young man who had just finished his second tour of duty overseas in the military. He asked about the work I do, at which point he asked a question that had been nagging him for years. How do they get anything done, he said. If they're nonprofit, doesn't that mean they can't use money? How do they pay for things? Here's another story that Hildy shares with us. At the end of their fiscal year, a small arts group was showing a profit. The board believed that was not permissible because they were a quote-unquote nonprofit. They voted to donate every penny of those funds to another charitable organization. Hilde goes on to talk about the empowerment of the term community benefit organizations, its inclusiveness, its value to the board, and its vision and direction. So what is the highest priority outcome of this work that we are all doing to make our communities amazing places to live, Hilde asks. Is it the vow never to make a profit? Or are we promising to provide benefit to our communities now and into the future? Are we promising to build strong, healthy, resilient, vibrant places to live? In the end, if community benefit is what we are promising to provide, then that is the promise that we should proudly proclaim in our name. And as you can see, Hilde makes some great points. So without further ado, here is my interview with Hilde Gottlieb.
1: About a year ago, I got tired of using the word nonprofit, and I started thinking of what is a better term for what it is that we do, because it's such an awful term. And so I made a list. I narrowed the list down to about five items. My favorites were community-based organizations, and then I thought, well, you know, maybe community betterment, and that led me to community benefit, and I started Googling those terms, and lo and behold, someone had beat me to it, and that was Hilde Gottlieb. According to her bio, Hildy, Hildy, can I call you Hildy?
2: Oh, I hope so.
1: Oh, good, because I feel like we're we're BFFs now. So, so Hildy, <laughs> Hildy, is a social scientist and asker of powerful questions. She says in her work, and I think that's such a, an amazing uh, explanation of what you do. She's the co-founder of Creating the Future with the tagline "Change the Questions, Change the World." So, I really love the way you frame your your things and. You know, I'm writing a book right now, but I don't write as well as you, so I really love what you did. I thought to interview you and get this going with the podcast because you're just such an amazing person. I really wanted to get to know you better. She is a former TEDx speaker, a contributor to the Huffington Post and the Stanford Social Innovation Review. She's also the creator and host of the Making Change podcast, where she has interviewed leaders from around the world about the factors that create powerful and positive change. And Hilde, you you mentioned that you also have just completed a new book, correct?
2: No, actually, the book is um, was was written six seven years ago. It came out in two thousand nine. It's called The Pollyanna Principles, and the subtitle is Reinventing quote nonprofit organizations to create the future of our world.
1: Nice. Well, Hilde, I think you were channeling me a little bit, and maybe I was channeling you, but uh, okay. we must be on the same party line. For those uh, those listeners who are old enough to remember party lines. Um, you started your <laughs> argument with a term that is much better prose than I can write, and uh, I would encourage our listeners to find Hildy's blog at creatingthefuture.org. And so, Hildy, tell us just a little bit about this term, community benefit organization, and how you came up with it and your theory behind it.
2: Well, um, I, it, it sort of requires going back a little bit to talk a little bit about where our work came from. Um, creating the Future is... a uh, a 501c3 community, actually a global benefit organization, uh, that is a 10-year experiment that just began. And that experiment is if we change the words we use and the questions that we ask, in 10 years, how much more humane could the world be? And that really gets to the heart of term, uh, community benefit or global benefit uh, or social benefit organization. What we came to realize is is going back when I was a consultant. Um, we had changed our lives, my partner and I, to uh, get into consulting. We were business turnaround people. Um, both of us had very strong community and labor organizing backgrounds but had had gotten into business turnaround. And left that world because we were frustrated and wanted to make the world a better place and started applying what, what, what we used to believe was the right thing to do. This is back in the very, very early 90s of applying your business skills to the what we then called nonprofit world. And about five years into that, we're immensely frustrated that we were seeing no change in communities. That we were supposedly at the top of our game, people were hiring us like crazy, uh, completely by word of mouth, which is how consultants want to be, and yet we weren't seeing the kinds of change that the organizations wanted to create. Beyond that, every organization, regardless of their mission, was frustrated because they sensed they could accomplish more and they weren't accomplishing it. And so we set ourselves to the task of, okay, sort of take that, that business turnaround mindset and you say, okay, if something's not working, you try to figure out what will work. And by the time we looked up about 10 years later, we were not doing our work the way anybody else was doing it, and yet we were starting to see way, way better results. And what it really came down to was changing the language that we use and the questions that we ask. And one of the many, many language pieces is that term nonprofit. Um, a big piece of, of and, and it's the reason I called my book The Pollyanna Principles, what we found is that when, when change happens, and we see change happen all the time, I mean, we, we have seen sweeping change in our lifetimes, uh, regardless of how young you are, even, even if you are very young, you have seen in the past 10 years the sweeping change of marriage equality. And before that, the Civil Rights Act and and seeing the civil rights movement in the U.S., globally seeing the South African Freedom Movement. And we see change happen. And the question that drove us is, okay, what's going on there? And how can we bottle that so that everyone can create that kind of change? And and really what it came down to was these basic principles that are at play that are rooted in asking different questions. And one of those principles is that we build on strengths rather than weakness. We aim for what's possible, rather than trying to fix what's wrong. And when we look at the term we were using to identify this sector, that is all about making life amazing. We weren't the amazing life sector. No, we were the nonprofit sector. And, you know, when I, when I do um, keynote speeches, I, I love to tell an audience, I say, you know, the word nonprofit says what we believe ourselves to be. We have no money. And right. So it is this this glaring. Here's what we're not. We're poor. Please, we can take any scraps you can give us. We'll figure out how to do more with less. All of those ridiculous terminologies that we have come to accept as as accurate, which just basically are not. And so we looked at, okay, if if this is identifying ourselves by our weakness then what is identifying ourselves by our strengths? And our strength really is what we're all about, what we want to hold ourselves accountable for, and that's benefiting the community. And so that was sort of where the term came from.
1: That's awesome. I, I just love how you frame, frame it in your blog. You know, basically, if you're working in the sector, you really only have two choices. You can call it, you know, from what people understand. Like if I'm going out and I'm talking to people that have never met me before, and right. I say anything other than, I work in nonprofits or I work for a charity. Those are the only two mm-hmm. terms they, they really understand. Um, and charity is not a great term either. How do you feel about the term charity?
2: <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it is again, it is that, that sort of, you know, that theme from, from the musical Oliver, please, sir, can I have some more? Right, um, exactly. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's begging at the door and it has its place. Because if we look at the roots of words, we want to be charitable. We want to be kind to each other. But the root of of the word charity to describe what we're doing, uh, it's just insufficient. It may be a piece of it. And it's a piece of it for some. If you're an educational enrichment foundation, you're not about charity. You're about what's amazing about humanity. And so, again, we're, we're, we're sort of looking at the pieces rather than looking at the reality of what do we really want? Who are we at the core? Why are we here? And if we identify ourselves by why we're here, we're pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, the, the point that I try to make in the book that I'm writing is that is that when people are uh, thinking in terms of charity or donors, they're thinking in terms of people who are giving something get nothing in return. And I think what we do in our sector is we we give something in return, which is community benefit is the, is the ROI. So return on investment is that we're making a better community. And that, that's why I really love your term. Um, you know, it's interesting when I was reading your blog, I went down and read the comments and the comments are hilarious. <laughs> Maybe not. You may be funny, sad, but they're funny and sad, but some of the comments are, uh, one person said, "Well, nonprofits is only negative if you make it so." They, you know, they, they seem to kind of feel like, "Oh, we can embrace this term, you know, and, and make it our own." And, you know, right. for me, that's a funny, funny argument. But I thought I would ask you how you feel about that argument.
2: Well, it's it's been interesting because that blog post is several years old, and over the past several years, we have seen some pretty sweeping change in how people are thinking about uh, social good work, period. Uh, since that blog, there has been such a dramatic rise in social enterprise, which is uh, primarily young people who, are, who want to do good and don't want to keep banging their heads against the same walls that nonprofits and community organizations have been uh, banging their heads against. And I say nonprofits, when I use that term, I mean it very intentionally, because when they are, when, when folks in the social enterprise world are looking at, quote, nonprofits, uh, they're looking at all of the ills that come with seeing yourself in a place of scarcity, uh, seeing yourself from a place of what you're not. Um, if only we would run like a business, which is you know an- another piece that comes out of it. Uh, people say frequently, well, yeah. we want to differentiate ourselves from businesses. Well, that was that was you know maybe five years ago. These days, you've got B corps, you've got social enterprises, you've got business people, you've even got corporations who are saying we want to be more socially minded, and so we're seeing much less argument with using different terminology and, and far more strength-based approaches to the work that we are all doing. And it's not just, um, the, the classified nonprofit, um, a 501c3, you have this status. It is, it is anyone who really wants to be good in the world. We're seeing a, a delightful shift in that, which is well, cool.
1: So, someone on your comments actually used that kind of against you. They were saying, uh, you know, well, how are we going to differentiate ourselves from the for-profit social enterprise? And, well, and I'm I'm curious to to uh, hear what you say about that because it's. I mean, I, I saw what you wrote and I thought it was great, but I wanted you to to tell our listeners what you what your take is on that.
2: Um, wow, I was knew what I wrote. I, sh- I should go look at that post. <laughs> uh, the The reality is, I don't understand why we need to differentiate. I mean, if we're all doing good work and we all want to link arms together and do work together, then why do we need to differentiate? What difference does it make? Um, it's, it, you know, we're all looking to do good. and So, so in uh, your mind,
1: then, you, you don't have to be a 501c3 to be a CBO, to be a community benefit organization. You could,
2: exactly. you could be a
1: for-profit social enterprise, and it's okay with you if we get lumped together.
2: You know, I, I really, truly believe that the... The more we find ways to divide ourselves, we are really cutting off our nose to spite our face. If, If we want to accomplish the change that we all want to accomplish, we have to seek constantly ways to find each other, to connect with each other, to build relationships with each other. And it, the, the business identity is is just the red herring that's really rooted in the scarcity of, well, if I don't tell you I'm a, quote, nonprofit, you won't donate money because it's not tax-deductible. And, again, the past five years has proven that that's just not true. I mean, Kickstarter, among others, and, and, and Indiegogo and com, where people will give to a social enterprise because they're doing cool stuff, and they don't care about the donation. They don't care about the tax exemption. And and so, again, if we want to accomplish what everybody in their hearts in this sector wants to accomplish, and, and I see sector as social good, um, then then we need to find ways to connect and not ways to divide each other.
1: I couldn't have said it better myself. I, uh, you're you're just really amazing. I, I wish I could meet you in person because you're, you're really you amazing. I love what you say. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's another movement uh, that I found online when I was kind of researching all of this. There's a movement that's been around, I think, since 2007 or 2008 to use the term social profit organization or social sector. What do you think of that term?
2: I don't, you know, so long as it's positive, I don't really care. I'm not stuck on the word. I'm stuck on the concept that we define ourselves by the good we do and not by what we're not. And, you know, social social sector, social good, totally cool.
1: Well, I I kind of was mulling this over in my head, but, I actually think that the term community benefit is uh, is a better term than social uh, social enterprise or social sorry not social enterprise social profit because mm-hmm. I I don't know that everyone in our business is in a, necessarily a social business you know what I mean uh, I think they're all in community businesses but not necessarily social and I think the word social kind of is overused now with social networking
2: social media so social networking for me well, I'll give you a just. Disc- I can give you a different perspective on that. Um, yeah. in, in New Zealand, and I'm not sure if elsewhere, uh, but in New Zealand specifically, uh, being on welfare, at, as we consider it in the U.S., is called being on the benefit. And so when we say community benefit in New Zealand, it strikes a ding, 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 ding. ooh, yeah, that doesn't work. Because that raises oh, interesting. Completely, so so. What, and and again, it is one of the reasons that creating the future, the organization that we uh, have have recently founded, is all about uh, the questions that we ask, the the way we be in our in our lives as a listening organization, as a listening human being, rather than a oh, well. This is the way it should be, and and you know the the language is just what we use to represent who we are in our culture. And so language is going to change region to region. It's going to change country to country. And it's why I'm more focused on the concept of identifying ourselves by the good that we do rather than uh, than what we're not. But language is going to change wherever people feel comfortable. And a big piece of being able to accomplish social good is to meet people where they are with the language that makes sense to them.
1: That That's that makes perfect sense. So, so you're not you're not married to the term. If there's a better term that comes out of all this, you just want the conversation to get started.
2: Yep. Yeah.
1: I, yeah. I'm with you. And, I, what,
2: and and I think that there's also a big piece in there about if we use language that is affirmative rather than negative, it reaffirms for us who we are and changes things. When when and and I'll, I'll talk about boards as an example. Boards of directors um, are under the mistaken notion that their entire job is to be accountable for money. And there's no mandate anywhere in the U.S. tax code that says that they need to be accountable for community benefits. They are, the organization must be about community benefit in order to have the, the C-3 tax exemption. But there is nowhere that says a board is accountable for making sure the organization benefits the community. I am thinking about what changes when you stop using the word nonprofit, which says, oh, yeah, money, we're accountable for money. And you start using a word that is, is social benefit, community benefit, whatever word says, oh, yeah, this is what we're accountable for because this is what we're called. And again, it, it is how language impacts how we think about ourselves and how, how we reflect on ourselves.
1: Well, speaking of language, the, the book and the podcast that I'm doing, and by the way, you, you probably know as well as I do, a book and a podcast can have a hundred, you know, audience or thousands of audience, depending on how yeah. much it gets out there. And nobody knows how successful these things are <laughs> going to be until it's out there in the ethos. But, um, you know, hopefully this will will do well and and, uh, and hopefully work towards getting that conversation going. But for me, it's, it's not just about the term nonprofit. For me, it's about... A lot of frankly bullshit that people pass down from generation to generation in our industry that 's the exact wrong thing to do, and people who are in the twenty percent of organizations that get all the money, you know eighty percent of the money in America goes to twenty percent of the organizations, and those twenty percent have figured out the bullshit and gotten past it, but the eighty percent keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, which is the definition of insanity so my my goal here with this book and podcast is to get people talking and thinking about, Hey, wait a second. Maybe that's not the best way to do things. And, you know, I've identified about 14, 15 different things that I'm writing chapters on, including the word nonprofit that, that are are Mm -hmm. exactly what we shouldn't be doing. And I just wanted to ask you, what are the bullshit things in our industry that you've come across that people do over and over again, hitting themselves with a hammer?
2: (laughs) Well, um, how many hours do you have? <laughs> um, the, the, the reality, and again, it depends on where, where folks are in uh, the reason that they're doing the work that they're doing. Everything starts with the understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. And from that flows everything else. So if the, the, the key piece in my mind is the, the self defeating um notion that change is hard that we can only make incremental change that cultural change is difficult that therefore we can only do what we can do with the limited dollars that we have and there is so much bullshit in all of that but it is <laughs> what we it, it really comes down to our beliefs we believe that money is scarce money is you know resources are not scarce money is scarce resources are abundant there's people everywhere, there's, there's cars, there's empty buildings, there's resource everywhere, exactly. um, but we believe that we need money and, and we have been told that over and over again that it is all about the money. Again, the name reinforces that. So when we see ourselves as, as resource poor, when in fact we are resource rich and maybe money poor, that leads to, to cycles of, well, we can only do what we can do because we don't have enough and you get on that hamster wheel. And and what winds up happening is our belief about scarcity guides our belief about what we can accomplish. But we also have seen organizations that have created sweeping change, and they are usually not the large organizations that have 20% of the wealth, if if in fact that number is correct, I believe you. Um, The large organizations tend to be um, more focused on self-perpetuation and less focused on actually solving uh, and especially creating, forget solving the problem, but creating what is possible. And the the easiest example for the fact that cultural change can happen, can happen swiftly, and doesn't require something the size of, of, of a Gates Foundation to do is Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And Mothers Against Drunk Driving in 10, 20 years changed the entire culture of not only this country, uh, the U.S., but changed the culture in many countries uh, from when I was growing up and a kid, it was, you know, just get home safe, honey, to my daughter. It's, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not drinking. I'm DD tonight. Well, there was no DD when I was growing up. And, and that changed swiftly, and it changed seemingly overnight, and it changed an entire culture of the country. You look back to, to the early days of The Tonight Show with Dean Martin and Johnny Carson smoking on set and, and swedding and scotch, we'd be appalled right now. And so the, the, the biggest, biggest myth is that we can only accomplish a little bit because, myth number two, we only have a little bit of money. And no matter how large the organization is, they will tell you, we could do more if we had more. And the answer is no, actually, you could do more if you, if you asked a completely different set of questions and saw resources differently.
1: That's a really great example, uh, mothers against drunk driving, and and what they did. That's a great example. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the only thing I might disagree with you a little bit is the the twenty percent of organizations that have all the money. You know, they're they're basically if you look at if you look at who uh, what organizations are over a million dollars, it's twenty percent. If you look at mm-hmm. what organizations have eighty uh, percent of the money, it's twenty percent, and it's not a coincidence. But I think in the twenty percent of organizations that are over a million dollar budget, the smaller end of those are people who are on their way up and they're doing they're very mission driven and they've they've gotten to where they are because they're doing it and then there are the people that you know have you know such a reputation and they're they're doing so well that they're on the high end of that, and those are the ones that are kind of coasting on their laurels and they're not like you say they're into self perpetuation they're not so much into their mission anymore. Um, yeah, I don't, I, they, I, I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't.
2: I don't generally. I don't generally see a million dollar organization as a as a, as a large organization. So in the classification, usually it's it's twenty and thirty million and above that are, are generally classified as as the large organizations. And million dollar organizations are still, believe it or not, classified as relatively small. Um, small orgs. So I would definitely agree with you there in terms of, but it's it's again, as you said, it's on the smaller end of wherever you wherever you pin that large, <laughs> it's on the smaller end of that. where they're accomplishing a lot and they are mission driven. Yes.
1: That that's one of the that's one of the myths that I'm addressing in my book is bigger is better. I've had mm-hmm. I've had people who are investors in my organization, you know, come up to me and say, Hey, I'm giving money to your cultural center not because of the cultural center, but because I like you. And I don't usually give to small organizations. I only give to big organizations because I don't want to lose my money. I don't want to waste my money. And I make Mm -hmm. the point to to that person that, you know, you can't really judge how much money goes to the mission based on the size of the organization. And I point out that a lot of the large organizations that they see on TV, you know, 20 to 20 to 30% of their budget goes to advertising and to marketing and to fundraising. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily a good, a good use of their money,
2: <laughs> and it may be, and and it may be. I mean, it really comes down to we really need to rethink what is the social change we want to create, and what is the structure that will create that. And so we we have there's two different ways of looking at it. The the organization I recently founded, Creating the Future, is looking at it from the standpoint of uh, blowing the whole thing up and starting over again. Saying, for instance, if we didn't have boards, would we build that? Is that the structure that we would build? If we did oh, not have the kind of, of, of fundraising that we have, which is so rooted in the exact power dynamics that many organizations are against, um, foundations that are all about social justice and social equity and, and and economic equity that have competitive grant funding, which is we have the money, you will compete for it. Um, if we didn't have these systems that go directly counter to what we are trying to, to accomplish, What would we create? And that's what creating the future is about. That's why we're an experiment. We're a 10-year experiment to see if we change the questions we ask about systems everywhere, what could be possible. But we know we're an outlier. And when you've got organizations that are um, given the systems they're given and they're doing their best within those systems, our goal is that you're armed with the questions you can ask within those systems that can lead to creating communities where people are bringing out the best in each other. And, and that's really at the heart of, of what we can do. And so by asking completely different questions about boards, for example, um, you know, what, what are boards really about? What, what is the most important thing a board can be discussing at its meetings? And, and having those, those very frank questions about is the most important thing you can be discussing. The, 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 the paperclip budget because that's the part of the budget you understand because you don't understand the 17 different federal programs that are funding you. So you're going to argue over how much you spent on, on fax paper or whatever. Um, that dates me, I know. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, but looking looking at those questions versus um, what is the most important thing you can be talking about is what difference are we making in the community? And if we can't measure and determine what difference we're making in the community, then the best thing we can be talking about is What would it take for us to be able to measure it? How will we know? What might indicators be? And and imagine the difference that organizations could be making, again, working within the existing system. If their boards spent way less time talking about the past, because looking at financial statements is all about the past, way less time looking at the past, and more time looking at the future that they want to create in their communities. Everything would change. Everything would change in a heartbeat.
1: I agree with you. I think board structure is one of our biggest issues in in our sector Mm -hmm. is the way the boards see their job and even maybe the way we put together boards.
2: What's the way we tell them to be put together? If you look at, and I I confess because my work has changed, I have not looked in several years, but there are several um, organizations that create standards for boards. Several years ago, I did a scan of of the standards um, nationally. And I found that one organization, uh, very well-renowned, had a list of 100 questions that boards needed to to tick the box in, in order to be considered um, an excellent board. One question out of 100 had to do with the mission. And that question was, do your board members know what the mission is? That's appalling. That's appalling. And so it's not just that boards don't know what they're doing, it's that they are being taught to do the wrong things. Well, they are being taught to focus on the money and to do that with excellence. And no one is teaching them how to lead and connect with their communities to create the most significant change they can possibly create.
1: I, I agree. Totally. I'm, I'm going to be doing an interview next week with a guy named Jeffrey Wilcox. I don't know if you know Jeffrey or not, but I don't, he's, a, I don't. he's a very good trainer <clears throat> and, um, I went through a training with him years ago, and he, he makes the point that I, I reiterate in my book, that um, in the old days, we used to call them boards of trustees, and somewhere in the 80s, they became boards of directors, and they're two mm-hmm. different things, and we need to get back to a board of trustees that's entrusted with a mission, and that the mission is the, the key thing, and to get away mm-hmm. from this idea that they're directors whose job it is to direct the staff.
2: Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it is, it is truly about a change of way of seeing things and it really is rooted in the questions that we ask.
1: Well, I, like I said, I can't wait to meet you sometime. It sounds like your book and my book have a lot of overlap in them, but maybe, uh maybe I can uh, mention your book in my book and, and this podcast gets out there and hopefully people will pick them both up and, and see everything that you're doing and start thinking in the way that you and I are talking about.
2: That that sounds absolutely wonderful. um, You can just go to PollyannaPrinciples.org. You'll see the principles there. You can read the first four chapters of the book there, and um, it's available on Kindle. You know, it's out there this summer. I am starting to write uh, my next book, which is really focusing on uh, changing the questions that we ask so that we're changing the world. Pollyanna principles really focused on changing existing systems within organizations, changing uh, how governance is done, changing how planning is done, changing how resource development is done, all aimed at creating the communities that we want. And so it's very focused in the community benefit world, and uh, the next book is going to be focused on everybody.
1: Well, it's been a, a, an immense pleasure to talk to you, Hilde, and that is Hilde Gottlieb of org. it is a 501c3 with the idea of changing the questions that we ask to get a better result. And I love that.
0: It was amazing to talk to Hildy. She really blows me away. I'd like to give you another analogy for an importance of this labeling. Now, this is for me. But just imagine you're in the NBA, the National Basketball Association. In which 80 percent of the teams playing are told that they were dribble the ball organizations the goal of the nba for these teams was to make sure they always dribbled the ball it is a rule of the nba and that is what they did they practiced and focused on dribbling meanwhile the other 20 percent of teams that were focused on putting the ball in the hoop they were how to score teams so the 20 percent they win almost every game and it's ludicrous for us to focus ourselves around a rule of the game rather than the end goal of the game. But that is exactly what we do. Meanwhile, the large budget organizations, that 20%, they're focused on their goal. They're not out running around talking about nonprofit X or nonprofit Y. They are the Red Cross or the YMCA. They are out there identifying themselves around a mission. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be community benefit organizations working in the social sector. What would happen if the next time you referred to your organization, you use the category of organization instead of the word nonprofit? In the sentence, I work for a nonprofit, instead you would say something like, I work for a museum or a youth center or whatever it is. Already you are defining yourself with specificity and power. You are doing something in the world besides avoiding making a profit. And the next time you have to refer to the sector, such as in the sentence, oh we work hard in nonprofits, but it's rewarding you were to use the term community benefit organization, your conversation would go something like, we work hard in community benefit organizations, but it's rewarding. And the other person there, they will think to themselves, huh, maybe they'll start putting it together in their heads. Or maybe they'll ask, what is a community benefit organization? And to this, you can say, oh, any tax exempt organization that helps the community. If you wanted to, you could add Most people refer to us as nonprofits, but that's such a negative term for organizations that are investing in the community. And now, now you have planted a seed. That person will go on with a deeper understanding and respect for what we do. They may mention this term to others. That is how a movement starts. Soon there will be more articles about it. It'll make its way into poems, movies, and commercials as dialogue. Someone will do a story about it on the moth stage. Before long, people talk about our industry with respect and an understanding that our mission is not to break even financially. Our mission is to have a high return on investment, an ROI, except not in financial profits, but in community benefits. This one change can change everything else about how we work and how we look at things. Once an organization can accept the truth that nonprofit is bullshit and community benefit is our actual business model, then we can work better for our mission, bring in investors, and make substantive change. So go forward. Tell others about your community benefit organizations and see if it doesn't make a difference in how people perceive you, especially those funders that give us money, those volunteers who work so hard for us, and those staff who will change their perspective on where it is they work and what it is they do. All of that is a positive. I want to thank you for taking the time with us on 501c3bs. Check out my Twitter feed at 501c3bs, my webpage at zootvelasco.com, and my book, The First Hundred Days, on Amazon. The music is provided to us from our good friends at the traditional Brazilian choro group, Grupo Falso Baiano and Amy Molinelli. Find them at grupofalsobaiano.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day free from BS.